T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Every year, dozens of people drown while swimming in Lake Michigan and the other Great Lakes. Preventable deaths in most cases. In this week's program, we discuss the statistics, the causes, and how to prevent the annual death toll. This is Mike Krauser, and this is At Issue. Our guest is Dave Benjamin, Executive Director of the Great Lakes Surf Rescue Project, the Grim Reaper of the Great Lakes, you could say, because it's Dave who compiles the statistics. But more than that, his organization has been working to lower the annual death toll. Welcome, Dave. Thank you for having me, having me in this morning, Michael. So, Dave, you have a uh, personal story about how you got into, uh, into this business, and, and let's talk about that. What happened to you? You were surfing in the wintertime in Lake Michigan. Yeah, you could say I got into this uh, accidentally. So, just give a little bit of a backdrop is um, I've been swimming in Lake Michigan my entire life, you know, 48 years now. And growing up, swimming in pools, having swim lessons, uh, swimming in Lake Michigan my entire life. I lived in California for two years near Huntington Beach. I was familiar with that surf environment there. And I had this belief that I know how to swim. I don't ever have to worry about drowning. I mean, because, you know, you know how to swim. It shouldn't be possible. And unfortunately, I was winter surfing in Lake Michigan on December 26, 2010, at the Portage Lake Front and River Walk. And while I was in the water, it's wintertime. Not many people are familiar with winter surfing, but, you know, it's, it's actually pretty popular now. And uh, waves were rolling in, but ice flow was starting to roll in. It wasn't necessarily, you know, icebergs that were solid blocks, but it was like big slush balls, like the size of basketballs, you know, coming through. And they're starting to be like everywhere. I'm getting a little, you know, a little, a little sketchy, thinking that I should probably head out um, time, you know, time to get out because it's just going to get worse and worse because it's winter time, and not really paying attention. Uh, more looking at the ice balls around me, and I look over my shoulder and there's this big wave peeking up, and you know, I mean, it's like you know, 12 to 15 feet. But unfortunately, surfers are like fishermen; we exaggerate. The wave was probably about you know about eight feet tops, but it, it's peeking up. It's right on me, and I'm thinking. Uh, commit to it late and I start paddling but it just peaks up and the front of the the board dips into the water and it just catapults me it closes out and throws me I land flat on my back I get the wind knocked out of me um, the wave is then closing out on me and you know it's about 32 33 degree cold water flushing through my wetsuit through my face down my chest out my arms and it's a complete shock to the system so I got, you know, instant panic. I get instant panic because I wipe out and get the wind knocked out of me. Then I get instant panic because ice cold water is flushing through my suit, pushing me through the bottom and I'm choking on it. And all my experience as a swimmer at that point, 39 years, is just completely out the window. It's fight to survive. Uh, Complete sheer panic. And I'm trying to get back up to the surface of the water. And as soon as I'm getting to the surface of the water, another wave is closing out. 
and I'm not even able to get a breath, so I'm still kind of half choking, holding my breath underwater, and again, fighting to get back up to the surface. But as I'm trying to get back to the surface, I realize my leash on my surfboard is not tugging at my ankle. That's like your safety blanket in the water. So now even more panic because my flotation device that's supposed to be trapped onto me is now separated. And this is the first time I've ever been in surf and separated from my surfboard. And so I'm just like, what do I do now? I'm still trying to get back up to the surface. Uh, I try to look out to my two buddies who I'm surfing with, and they're like about 100 yards out on the horizon, and they're looking at the horizon of waves coming in. So they can't see me. I'm trying to wave for help, but put your hand above water, put your mouth underwater. I try to yell for help, but I'm half choking on water. You need to be able to breathe to be able to yell. So instantly, I can't wave or yell for help, which I thought I would have been able to do in, in, in an emergency. And now a wave is, again, closing out, pushing me under the water, I'm near a rock wall, and I'm thinking, this is probably it for me. This is, this is I found out how I'm going to depart this life. And you start getting some strange, strange thoughts, you know, like I'm going to be the first surfer to drown in the Great Lakes, or I'm not going to be going home. My wife and children are going to be getting this news that I drowned while surfing in the lakes, which not a lot of people understand winter surfing. They think we're crazy, but it's relatively safe. On some rare occasions, it's not. And uh, while holding my last breath, you know, I had this memory recall about a year, year and a half earlier. I read this article called Drowning Doesn't Look Like Drowning by Mario Vitone. He wrote it for a magazine. Mario uh, is now retired from the U.S. Coast Guard, you know, long career. But in this article, he described the signs of drowning, which is typically facing shore, mouth to water level, head tilted back. You're vertical in the water and you're doing this climbing the ladder motion. And there's this extreme freak out panic and hyperventilation. And the more you hyperventilate, the more you decrease your buoyancy. And I'm thinking, holding my last breath, I'm doing all the signs of drowning. The more I struggle, the more I'm drowning. So I'm just going to stop and give up. And, you know, I had a wetsuit on, six millimeters. It's actually very buoyant if you're not drowning yourself. And so I was able to get back up to the surface, able to clear my uh, throat, clear my lungs, lay back, and just get my breathing under control, get my head under control. And I'm thinking, okay, I think I could survive this, the cold, with this wetsuit on and it's buoyant. But now the next problem I have is the waves are still crashing and they're pushing me into this rock wall, which I can see over my shoulder. My surfboard is just getting tossed into it, just getting completely chewed up and destroyed. And I'm thinking, I'm next into that wall. Into that wall. So I'm thinking I got to you know, try and get back to shore and swimming along the... Uh, the, the rock wall is very difficult because there's actual structural current going out. Waves are crashing in, but there's a current that's going out. So I feel myself not making any progress swimming, exhausting myself once again. The current is pulling out and the waves are crashing in. So it's kind of like this big jumbled mess. And now I got to, you know, I'm thinking, I go, okay, calm down. I, I could probably survive two hours with this wetsuit before hypothermia would be an issue. Um, from my past experiences of, of being in the water. And um, I made the choice. I got to get away from this wall because I can't climb out. It's about 10, 15 feet high at, at points and it's all f- iced over. So I start backstroking away from the wall, getting away from the wall and the waves are pushing me into it. But this, this, this whole swirl of backstroking away from the wall, getting pushed into it, getting pulled out, it lasted about 40 minutes until I could backstroke far enough away from the wall where the waves would push me all the way back to shore. 
And um, it was literally when I crawled out, you know, I, I had two thoughts. One was that article just saved my life and I, I should, you know, do something about that. And then two, where's my surfboard? You know, so <laughs> <laughs> Had you not read that article, do you think you'd be sitting here today? I, I, absolutely. I, I believe that article, you know, saved my life that day. Uh, you know, and, and a strange, you know, sideline to this is, uh, in 2012, we went to the National Drawing Prevention Alliance conference where Mario Vitone was the keynote speaker uh, for the conference, and I was able to share my story with him, you know, about how I, you know, just almost bought it, <laughs> and that his article saved my life. And then, so we also have to got to sit down together at the luncheon. And, you know, it was really kind of kind of surreal how it all kind of circled back around to be able to meet the author of that article. And where were your buddies that day? Uh, did they not see you struggling for that whole time? They had no idea. So, I mean, literally, the, the wipeout and the drowning episode was maybe, you know, less than two minutes, but another 38 minutes before I could get far enough away and, and, and out. I mean, there's no yelling or waving for help. You know, uh, with Great Lakes waves, there's short period waves, so you're either in the trough or the peak, and it's very, you know, bouncy, wavy, that, you know, being able to spot somebody is is a task in itself. First, you know, you can't really yell when you're drowning either. So they had no idea. I mean, I was out of the water. There was only two buddies at that time. I mean, we went in at sunrise. So there's nobody, there's, there's no lifeguards, there's no park attendants on duty. You're really at your own risk when you're just surfing. And I didn't really realize that either at the time. It kind of something that slipped my mind that we've make people pay attention to now with water safety. And soon after that, the Great Lakes Surf Rescue Project was born. Yeah, at that point in time, I was in a leadership program, uh, and one of the projects was making a community project. And I was like, well, I'm going to do this uh, community project. We're going to educate surfers how to use their surfboard as a rescue device. Uh, At the time, doing my research, I got really present. There's a lot of drownings in the Great Lakes. I was also reading about a lot of surfers making rescues and injuries happening along with that or you know, uh, surfboards being damaged in the process. And so it was a surfboard rescue techniques class uh, was going to be the first class. And um, through Third Coast Surf Shop, they have an online surfing forum that was very popular back then that I started networking with people and everybody was pointing towards Bob Pratt, who uh, was then the uh, fire marshal in East Lansing, Michigan, and also a water safety expert. And I just called him up and said, hey, if I organize this class, will you come teach it? And then he said, yeah. And Literally, you know, we kind of joke is one of those uh, online relationships that's uh, turned out to be successful because <laughs> uh, we literally met in the parking lot of a hotel in St. Joseph, Michigan, the morning of our first presentation. And, you know, I was like, I man, I hope this guy shows up. I don't you know. I've only talked to him and emailed with him. And uh, yeah, he showed up and he did an outstanding performance. We had about 15 people RSVP and we had almost 40 people show up. And what we realized is, you know, we had surfers show up, but we also had people, the general public, we had police officers, firefighters, paramedics, water rescue personnel also show up. And I was like, we have a much larger audience. And so that first summer of 2011, it was supposed to be just one presentation. We ended up doing five presentations that summer. Um, If we look now, we're almost up to 500 presentations in seven of the eight Great Lakes states since June of 2011. So it's really taken a life of its own and and has really quadrupled in the size of what we do. And let's talk about the activities and uh, the kind of things that you do and, and that you teach and, and who your students are. Exactly. Um, the Great Lakes Surf Rescue Project is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. And we have four key areas where we work. 
We track the drownings in the Great Lakes. We teach Great Lakes water safety. We work with family and friends of drowning victims to advocate water safety. And we also provide open water surf lifeguard training and first responder in-service water rescue, water resuscitation training. And when we look at, so tracking the drownings in the Great Lakes, um, since we began tracking the drownings in the Great Lakes, since 2010, there have now been 594 drownings in the Great Lakes. On average, half of all Great Lakes drownings happen in Lake Michigan, and half of Lake Michigan drownings happen in the south end of Lake Michigan. So from, you could say, Milwaukee, Chicago, Northwest Indiana to, you know, uh, New Buffalo, St. Joseph, Michigan, that's the most dangerous part of the Great Lakes or the deadliest part of the Great Lakes where we have the most drowning fatalities. Is that just because of population and the number of people that uh, that are on the lake? Yeah, we're, we look at several factors. So residential population density is very high. Um, we also look at tourism population is very high. And then in addition to that, the configuration of Lake Michigan from north to south, it's about 307 miles long. And from east to west, it's about 118 miles wide. And this time of year, uh, early August, the prevailing winds start to shift uh, from the north. So whenever you get wind over water, which is called fetch, so you get north winds fetching over 307 miles from north to south, all the way to south end of Lake Michigan, the whole lake is moving with waves, but the, the, the impact, the largest impact zone is the south end. So we'll get longshore currents running down the Wisconsin-Chicago coast and the Michigan coast, and they're all coming down to the south end, to the Gary, Indiana, and that's where if we got a north wind, that's where all the onshore wind and wave activity is coming. We also need to consider which way the wind is blowing. So if it's a northwest or northeast wind direction, it's hitting the beach at different angles where we'll get different types of currents. Um, you know, so so really looking at the, the high numbers of drownings in the Great Lakes and the south end of Lake Michigan being the deadliest part of it is really, you know, population density, tourism density, um, uh, the, the north wind direction prevailing in, in the late summer and fall. In addition to that, the just lack of public education about water safety. And that's where we, you know, kind of transi- transition into how do we make the biggest impact? Uh, we look at water safety. Water safety is not common sense. Many people assume water safety is common sense, but it's not. So um, that's one of the reasons why, you know, our biggest outreach is Great Lakes water safety presentations in schools. Um, We can see the largest audience make the biggest impact in the shortest amount of time. You are listening to Ad Issue. This is Mike Krauser filling in for Craig Delamore. Our guest is Dave Benjamin, executive director of the Great Lakes Surf Rescue Project. And and Dave, we're talking about education or lack thereof. Uh, Go on. If we um, look at other public safety agendas today in schools, uh, there are fire drills, tornado drills, school shooter drills. We even have earthquake drills in Illinois and Indiana. And we all remember how bad that last Illinois earthquake was. I don't think I remember a fatal earthquake in my lifetime in the state of Illinois, but we're doing earthquake drills in Illinois and Indiana. I'm not opposed to those. But there's a big disconnect because it's likely that more school-aged children will die drowning each year in the United States than die in fires, tornadoes, school shooters, and earthquakes combined. So there's just a disconnect. And, you know, 
when we look at water safety, the big factor is you don't know what you don't know. You know, if you don't know that drowning is a neglected public health issue, according to the World Health Organization, if you don't know that drowning is one of the leading causes of accidental death, according to the Center for Disease Control, you're really not going to be that hypersensitive to we need to fund this and we need to get the word out. And so we've compiled, you know, a list of bullet points of what people should know, like every person should know. So if you ask someone anywhere in the United States, what do you do if your clothes catch on fire? What do you do, Mike? Stop, drop, and roll. And what number do you call if there's an emergency? 911. And what do you do if you're drowning? That's Hmm. what we get. We get that awkward silence. So we want water safety, drowning survival to be as common sense as stop, drop, and roll in 911. So, you know, we have to lay the foundation. You know, the big picture of drowning is that, according to the World Health Organization, it continues to be a neglected public health issue. And just about nobody's ever heard of that. But if you ask anyone anywhere, have you heard of Zika? Everyone knows how, uh, what Zika is. They know how Zika is transmitted. How is Zika transmitted? How's West Nile transmitted? I'm asking you, Mosqu- Mike. Okay, mosquitoes. <laughs> mosquitoes. Everybody knows mosquitoes. It's for West Nile and, and Zika. And how do you protect yourself from mosquitoes? Cover yourself. Cover yourself and use bug spray, okay? 2016, the World Health Organization said Zika is a public health issue. And then President Obama said, I want a billion dollars of funding for education, outreach, and research. At that point in time, I think we had one Zika-related fatality. On average in the United States, 10 people per day die drowning. And this has been going on for 100 years plus. Okay. One Zika death, I want a billion dollars of funding. 10 people per day in the United States die drowning, and there's not even a word of it. It's a silent epidemic. Do you think that the United States has gotten away from that? I remember being a kid freezing in the pool as a very young kid. Everybody I knew had to take swimming lessons. Well, that's that's a part of it. Um, access to swimming lessons is a huge, huge issue. Um, but we, we've got to look a little beyond that because there's the difference between swim lessons and swim survival. So oftentimes we'll be speaking with parents asking them to come to a water safety presentation or talking to a school about needing to get, you know, into a school to do presentations. They'll say, well, you know, we know how to swim. Our kids know how to swim. We don't have to worry about it. And I said, well, I know how to run. It doesn't mean I can run a marathon. Okay. Everyone knows how to run. Just like everyone says they know how to swim. So knowing how to run doesn't mean I can complete a marathon, but I could start and two miles down the road, I could sit and I could take a rest. If you get in water over your head and you don't know a survival strategy like flip, float, and follow, you're, you know, it's a marathon. Drowning is a marathon for your life, and you have to be able to pace yourself. And when we look at the big picture of drowning, um, 66% of all drowning victims are good swimmers. They knew how to swim. They had swim lessons. They just didn't know how to survive. In addition to that, 54% of Americans don't have the basic swimming ability to save their own lives in a water emergency. And that's five basic skills of falling in the water over your head, being able to resurface, being able to tread water for one minute, being able to spin around 360 degrees to spot an exit, being able to uh, swim 25 yards, like the length of a pool, to uh, get to an exit, and then being able to climb out of the water unassisted. When the Red Cross tested people on their swimming ability on those five basic skills in a controlled environment in the pool, 54% don't have that. 
they know how to swim, but they don't have the ability. They don't have the endurance. So it's important to understand. Um, knowing how to swim is very, very important. We encourage everyone to learn how to swim, but we also want people to understand that knowing how to swim also reduces one's fear of water. People are likely to overestimate their abilities and uh, children get less supervision because they know how to swim. So we want, you know, people need to know that as part of, you know, the learning how to swim process, even though they know how to swim, you know, there, there's still a possibility for a fatality. It's like, you know, I know how to drive, but I wear my seatbelt. So, so that's what we need people to start doing is, is, is having, you know, a hyper attentive awareness of, we need to understand drowning and we need to understand water safety. And again, the, I don't know, I don't know. I believe that the politicians and the educators and, you know, people just across the board, they don't know that it's a leading cause of accidental death. So they don't know that they need to push the agenda. Now, often people who drown around here, Indiana, Michigan, uh, Illinois, Wisconsin, they get caught in rip currents and they don't know what to do. That, that, that is a huge problem. Um, so when we started this back in, uh, say, 2011, rip currents were barely even a conversation. People were, a lot of people were denying that there was rip currents in the Great Lakes. So what we know is whenever there's wind, winds equal waves, waves equals dangerous currents, there's several types of dangerous currents. If you ever get caught in a dangerous current, uh, what we advocate is that you flip, float, and follow. Uh, so you flip over on your back and you float. You float to keep your head above water. You float to conserve your energy. You float to calm yourself down from the fear and panic of drowning. And then you follow the safest path out of the water. So um, we know it's not, it sounds easy. We, it's like a disclaimer. We want people to know that it's going to be a life and death situation, that if you want to survive a drowning accident, you must stay at the surface of the water and continue breathing, right? Not rocket science, but if you're panicked in the drowning process, you're not going to be thinking clearly. You're going to be hyperventilating, exhaling more than you're inhaling, becoming less buoyant, becoming cathartic. And, um, and that's why the emphasis is flip over on your back and float. Just get your breathing under control. All you got to do is... Stay at the surface and continue breathing. Um, when we say float, we don't mean perfect parallel to the surface. It's getting your chest at the water, getting your head at the highest point. Once you get your breathing under control, then concentrate on following the safest path out of the water, which again is not going to be very easy because it's a life and death situation. Your point of view of the world is very limited because you're right at the surface of the water. Um, if you continue floating, there's a possibility you float long enough, you'll get washed back to shore. Uh, it depends on which type of dangerous current you're in. Um, most people are familiar with rip currents. Rip currents pull you away from shore. Uh, but we also have, a, I believe, a bigger problem with longshore currents. Uh, longshore currents is wind and waves hitting the beach at an angle. You're going to get a current that will flow parallel to shore. And it depends which way the wind is blowing, which way the current is flowing. So understanding that the longshore current is going to gently take you along the shore it could take you off of a sandbar into deeper water along the shore. It could feed into a rip current, or it could feed into a, a structural current, which is a current near a pier or a break wall. Any solid structure sticking out in the water, there are currents around those. So you're flowing in the longshore current parallel to the shore. You get to the structure. It's going to take you out and around the structure. It's going to take you the long haul. So again, staying at the surface of the water, being able to control that panic and to continue breathing is very, very important. Um, you know, we often tell people stop, drop and roll doesn't mean you won't get burned, but it greatly increases the possibility of surviving the incident and reducing the injury. And we believe the same thing about flip, float and follow.
Now, parents play a big role as well, and we saw in the recent incident in um, the Warren Dunes where a four-year-old child um, eventually died uh, after being in critical condition uh, from uh, being face down in the lake. And uh, as, as we heard you talking about, kids aren't going to show any sign of drowning. They will walk in and walk off a drop-off, and they're gone. Yeah, um, very, very tragic. Um, you know, heart goes out to that family. And, and the big thing is, again, if you don't know, you don't know. If you don't know, drowning is a leading cause of accidental death. You, if you don't know, you have to have hands-on t- touch supervision of all non-swimmers, that uh, the Great Lakes are not like the pool. There are drop-offs. There are sandbars that move with each storm. Uh, there are always currents that are flowing in the Great Lakes. We may, maybe not dangerous to an adult-sized person, but to a child, deadly, unfortunately. And that, you know, uh, we always recommend a water watcher, one person who's designated sole responsibility is to watch all the children in the party and making sure it's almost a one-on-one ratio for those non-swimmers. And again, if a child, and I, I see it all the time because I go to the beach a lot, a lot more than I should say, but I, I mean, I go to the beach several times a week throughout the year. But if you don't know, you know, someone's going to sit at their, their, their beach and be on their phone. And if they don't know that drowning is silent, if they step into water over their head and they're a non-swimmer, they're going to go right down. There's not going to be a wave or a help or anything. It's just going to be silent, just there one second, gone the next. And there's not a natural uh, body reaction to trying to survive and stay on top of the water? No, humans are unique. We don't instinctively know how to uh, swim. We instinctively know how to drown. In Mario Batone's uh, article, it's called The Instinctive Drowning Response. It was actually coined back in the 60s by Professor Frank Pia out of New York that... Um, you know, you throw a dog in, you throw a cat in, they instinctively know how to swim. But you throw a person in, they instinctively do the signs of drowning, which is typically facing shore, mouth to water level, head tilt to back, doing a climbing the ladder motion, and they're hyperventilating. And if they're doing those signs of drowning, it's less than 60 seconds until some final submersion. Another very important thing to know about drowning is it is very, very time critical. So you have to have hands-on, eyes-on, touch supervision of these uh, children because with the submersion, if somebody submerges, around three minutes of submersion, the heart stops. Around four minutes of submersion, irreversible brain damage begins. And around 10 minutes of submersion, if the person's recovered, there's only about a 14% survival rate. So, you know, it's, it's very, very time critical. You know, if you can get to someone within two minutes, they'll probably be recover fine. You know, about 92% survival rate. But... Two minutes is full recovery, 10 minutes is body recovery. And again, that, that, that's a, a sloping scale because of age and health issues. And then we also want people to know compression-only CPR is inappropriate for drowning victims. Dave, if there's, uh, <clears throat> if there's one thing that you want people to come away from this program with uh, knowing, what, what is that? Um, just that... Drowning continues to be a neglected public health issue. It continues to be a neglected public health issue because it's, it's a neglected public health issue and people just don't know. We really need water safety education in schools. Uh, we have just signed a contract for a $50,000 matching grant with the Indiana Department of Natural Resources. We'll be doing 100 Great Lakes water safety presentations in schools in northwest Indiana, as well as 24 hours of open water surf lifeguard training as well as first responder in-service training. And all 
Educational materials, instructional materials, videos produced under this grant will be available for use in the Great Lakes region. And, you know, we're, we're scheduling now uh, in, for all eight Great Lakes states for water safety presentations for next spring 2018. We need to get it in now. Your organization has come a long way in seven years. Yes, it, it, it's, it's, it's grown in some ways out of control, but it, it's, it's coming to a head. Our, our, my big goal is a water safety school curriculum that you know, launches in the Great Lakes region and goes nationwide. This is a nas- nationwide drowning epidemic. Uh, we have you know, peaks in the Great Lakes region, but it's just very important. I just want to circle back on one thing. I said compression-only CPR is un- not appropriate for drowning victims. Um, drowning is a respiratory emergency. It's a lack of oxygen to the brain. So we have to have the rescue breaths. Compression-only CPR is for, you know, an old guy like me falling down and having a heart attack on dry land. I've got oxygen in my lungs. They can do compression-only CPR. They're circulating oxygenated blood. A person pulled out of water, compression-only is circulating unoxygenated blood, and we got to get that oxygen into the brain. That's all the time we have for uh, for Ad Issue for today. Our thanks to our guest, Dave Benjamin, Executive Director of the Great Lakes Surf Rescue Project. This is Mike Krauser, and you've been listening to Ad Issue. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.